I am Debbie Mann. Please welcome Susan McDowell. She is one of my cancer chicks that I hang out with every once in a while. And uh, welcome, Susan. Thanks for doing this with me. Thank you, Debbie. I'm pleased to be here. Why don't you share about how we met? Okay, well, I was probably several months into my cancer adventures when I finally found a support group at Hope Spring, uh, the ladies support group. And Debbie, of course, was there along with a bunch of really, really wonderful women with a mixed group of cancers, which um, that was fine. Uh, and, and we were able to share so much from, from what experiences we'd had and where we were in our various journeys. And I found the support group experience to be incredibly uh, helpful for me as I went through my journey and continue to do so now. So that's where we now. As, as a plug for Hope Springs, although we, our group, we pretty much all kind of graduated when our wonderful leader retired, that particular group of people broke up. And then at that point, I was in remission. And uh, in the last nine months, rejoined with a new leader. It's a much smaller group. And we meet now on Zoom, uh, a ladies group in the evening every other week. And once again, wonderful group of ladies. And it's uh, a directed support group, specifically a support group. Uh, but we still laugh and support each other. And it's a it's a different vibe because it's different ladies. But I absolutely recommend the use of the support group to help get through these sorts of things. I don't think I could have gotten through it without Hope Springs. You know, we all listen to each other's tears, heartbreak, anger, and then the laughter when we got yeah. We're going to talk about your journey through cancer. So you have... I have multiple myeloma. Okay. That's, that's the that's the main anyway. Oh, right. Because yeah, a few other things have popped up since then, right? Yes. 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 So how did you discover it? Well, I have been and continue to be very well. I'm fit and active and have no symptoms. So um, my husband and I had retired, hoping to spend the winters in Florida, actually, in uh, January of 2016. And I was perfectly well. Went to Florida, had a great time, and say we were there for three months. Came back and I had an appointment to see a gastroenterologist because my family doctor had noticed that I had some anemia, which I really didn't think anything about being a woman of a certain age. And everybody in my family had anemia. I just didn't think anything of it. So very shortly after we got back from Florida, went to that doctor and he ordered a whole range of blood tests just because they were investigating this little anemia thing. And I was actually able to see on Life Labs, they have a, uh, you can go online and see your blood results. Yep. The results ticking down, oh, abnormal, 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 and included uh, a whole bunch of stuff in the immunoglobulin range. And being me, I immediately went on Google and blah, 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 what's all this? <laughs> Google doctor? Google doctor, yes. Yeah. I can refer to myself as doctor. And I figured out pretty much that evening that I had multiple myeloma. Oh, wow. And so that was um, a total surprise because I was completely well. Like, what do you mean I've got this thing? So, the, of course, there were a, a bunch of other things it might have been, but it was overwhelming pointing to that one thing. And then I had to wait for a doctor to actually tell me what I had. So how long did it take you to get in to see your doctor? Um, I'm trying to think. It was probably not really very long until my family doctor called me. She's the one who had started the whole process investigating the anemia. And um she kind of in a backwards way said, you need maybe you might have 
this multiple myeloma and oh by the way you have a referral to a hematologist at the cancer center so i'm like yeah okay so that was it was probably a less than a week till i actually got in to see the hematologist but then they had to do more tests and stuff before there was a solid firm diagnosis but it was pretty clear to me that that's what it was and what other tests did you have? The really fun one is a bone marrow biopsy. I would not recommend as a Saturday afternoon fun outing. It is, um, <laughs> I don't know, basically it's sort of like ice fishing, take an auger to your hip, <laughs> and then all out some stuff. Yeah, it's not really a lot of fun, but fortunately it's quick. It, it, it was like taking an ice pick to what? <laughs> <laughs> an auger, you know. An like auger. The, Auger. It's basically a little auger and they put a hole in your in the, the crest of your hip and go in and fish out some bone marrow for testing. And because the multiple myeloma is uh, found in the bone marrow, so that's they're, they're going in to count all the little bad boys that are lurking in there. So, so can you explain what multiple myeloma is? Uh, yes, I can. In fact, I happen to have up the Myeloma Canada website. Which wow. I from. What is multiple <laughs> myeloma? Multiple myeloma, commonly referred to as myeloma, is a blood cancer that is associated with the abnormal behavior and uncontrolled growth of a type of blood white blood cell, the plasma cell. Plasma cells are made in the bone marrow, the spongy tissue found inside bones, and are an important component of the body's immune system because they produce antibodies. The antibodies are those Ig things that I was telling you about in the blood tests. In myeloma, abnormal plasma cells interfere with the production of normal healthy cells in the bone marrow and overproduce inactive clones um, and blah, 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 blah. Because um, negatively affect different parts of the body, such as the bones and the kidneys. So it's extremely common for multiple myeloma to be diagnosed because you've broken something. Spontaneously have, have your back with fractures in it or your ribs or a femur. Those are very common ways of finding out you've got myeloma or else your kidneys just stop working. We have another friend. I think you interviewed her yesterday I um, who had, who had the, the kidney thing. Me, I just had a little bit of anemia, which is because my, my red blood cells were being crowded out by the uh, bad guys, but it didn't affect me. I didn't, I didn't have to go in to have with horrible back pain. I didn't have, I didn't have dialysis. So I was still feeling perfectly fine, which is good. It just, it, I was caught early because of the attention of my family doctor, frankly. It, it's really great. I was extremely fortunate. So you, you got into the hemat hematologist, is that what you said? Yeah, and yeah. more tests. What kind of tests did you have to do? What other tests? There weren't a lot. It was mostly blood work, really. I had to, to collect 24-hour urine. And really, there wasn't a ton of testing other than the bone marrow biopsy and blood testing. At some point in the early part, I had full skeletal surgery of x-rays because they were looking to see if I had any bone lesions, which is uh, the kind of uh, damage that myeloma ca causes where you get holes in your bones. So they were oh, looking wow. to see if I had any of those things happening. And at the time I did not. Again, I was extremely fortunate. Yes. What was the next process? Within a very short period of time of the official diagnosis, I had to start chemotherapy. And I, I, my doctor was like, well, let's, let's start tomorrow. I thought, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, even though I had been sort of mentally prepared for, you know, a couple of weeks that this was going to be the diagnosis, I hadn't told my kids yet. And so I thought, I can't start chemotherapy without actually telling my kids. So I said, can, can, can we wait maybe a week? And he said, okay. <laughs> so uh, both, of, both of my kids had been uh, living independently by, at that time. So we invited them home and had a 
a one-on-one conversation, which was much the most difficult thing because I, I didn't have any symptoms. I was fine. So the whole level of surprise for everybody was really quite high. And how did they react? Well, for the most part, um, I, I'm a, uh, I am not a crier. I, I almost never cry. My daughter, who I'm very close to and very, she's very much like me, except in the crying department. <laughs> <laughs> she 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 knows the tears I don't but she knows that of course there were tears but she reacts to how how I am and my son very much the same because I was my husband and I were barely matter of fact about it it was harder for him than for me and we had been given the the treatment plan and it was totally manageable I could do it it's like I'm gonna be fine I'm gonna look a little different but I'm gonna be fine and telling the kids was very much about reassuring them I find that if I don't cry and the person I'm telling doesn't cry, then we get through the whole thing without a lot of tears. Let me ask you something, because I know when you discovered that you had multiple myeloma, where did you go before you had the official diagnosis and then when you had the official diagnosis? Dr. Um, Susan versus real doctor. Well, as it happens, that was right on me. But, um, <laughs> The just I just rolled with it. It was, of course, I had done a ton of research, and one of the things you really shouldn't do with multiple myeloma is get right in there because some of the stats are horrible. So, my doctor can I say his name or not? Sure, yeah, okay, Dr. Robert Stevens at um, Grand River Hospital. He is absolutely lovely, 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 lovely man. And he is relentlessly positive, which is a really good match for me. And so even when he's delivering really, really devastating news, he's full of, and this is going to be great because we're going to be able to do this. <laughs> and you're in such great shape. You're the best ever. And you're so, so I, we always come out of the doctor's office feeling, well, that was great. <laughs> and then there'd be kind of the, the day after, oh, well, I guess I'm going to have to have a stem cell transplant. Then I start looking that up and go, oh, but never mind about that. There was there was a, there was a, a constant reinforcement of positivity from my doctor, which has to this day been a huge asset for me. That's amazing. In in many ways, it's it's all about luck, and that's what I my attitude toward the diagnosis was. Well, there I have been living a good, clean life. I'd been a vegetarian at that point for 15, 16 years. I was fit. I did all the the exercise things. I was living a good life, so I had no feelings of self-recrimination that I had done something wrong. I hadn't. I just figured it was bad luck or some environmental circumstance that I had no control over that had reacted with my body, and I was enormously grateful that it was my my body and not my husband or my children's bodies because it's actually easier to have it myself than to have the agony of someone I love having it which I know you unfortunately have had both ends of that stick yeah a m- number of times my, both my parents and um, my my great niece had leukemia discovered at five years old CF kid so mm-hmm. yeah double whammy so it's you do feel helpless on the other end and yeah I think and, and it's I've talked about this with other people as the person with cancer there's a timeline there's here's what we're going to do here's the prescription here's everything we're going to do to help you with it and you just go like you like to think you go with it you go with it because there's no yeah. other way to go yes. Um, yes but when you're going through all the side effects of it <laughs> 
<laughs> you're still going through it and your family feels helpless because there's really nothing they can do. Yeah, not not a lot. Although I had way more hug kisses all the time, which I really quite liked. <laughs> <laughs> what are the not benefits? Not that I was ever short on them. However, they, were, they were coming in thick and fast. That's and lovely. I, I had very, very great support system. I have an extended family that's enormously supportive, lots of friends supportive. And then eventually it took me several months to try and find a, a support group, a place to talk to, to somebody. That's when I found Hope Spring and then things started unfolding from there. The, initially, the period of time where the hospital it has very strong privacy policies and they couldn't give me anybody's name. What I really, really, really wanted was to talk to somebody else who had multiple myeloma because wait, who had heard of multiple myeloma? Nobody. So so I, I wanted to talk to somebody who who had that. But like what what happened? What's what's the real skinny on on this? Because my doctor, who I said I loved and was very positive, didn't necessarily give me the full range of experience that I might actually have because that's his style, but I like to know what the range of possibility. And it took a long time to connect up with somebody else who had multiple myeloma and then it was a few well a month or so after that that I was able to get into support group and met Jules who also had multiple myeloma so it started seeming like okay I'm not the only person on the planet really think so that that was talking about it with someone who knows what's going on is very helpful which yeah. is why support groups are so great I I personally agree but I don't know. There's a lot of people out there who don't, who would rather not be in a support group. And that's just the way they, that's the well, way they, they manage it. So that's okay too. Well, there's, there's a, a spectrum of uh, personality types about whether people want to disclose that they've got something going on. Um, and I know other people who go through their whole cancer treatment and they don't tell anybody. And um, that's not me. No. So I had started uh, sort of updates on a online forum called Caring Bridge, which allows, have, do you know that one? Have you I do, yeah. So we had become familiar with Caring Bridge when my sister-in-law's niece uh, had cancer when she was five and that we had been following Caring Bridge and had, had recognized at that point how valuable it was because we were, we weren't, we knew, we knew the family because it was my sister-in-law's family, but they were not going to phone them and say, how's, how's the little girl doing today? That's just way too intrusive, but we could still follow her journey. And I recognized how helpful that would be for us because they were initially just fielding 30 phone calls is exhausting. And you just, okay, I don't want to say the same thing again. So we had started the, the, on the Caring Bridge site and I would post what, things were going on and get enormous support back online, but it was managed in a way that it wasn't intrusive for us. And I could release the information as I was ready. And that again was was very important, but it was very public for me. I, I wasn't hiding anything about what was going on. It was I'm just laying it out there. So everybody's different. My uh my brother, who I forgot to mention earlier, is also he has he has cancer. I think it's lymphoma. And he's only got three to six months to live if that and his son is posting things online as well not through caring bridge but he's put up a private facebook group together uh, and he gives us reports when he can yeah. and then i just try to touch base with him once in a while because i don't want to overwhelm him so it sucks the big but everybody has to deal with it in their own way yes and exactly it's so individual 
It really no, is. No right, no wrong. It's just who you what are. works for you. Absolutely. Yeah. If I've learned nothing else from this disease, it's not only is the disease itself so broad in its scope and treatment that how you deal with it is very broad and in scope for all. Yes. And it's all good. But it's very common though with many treatments that when you lose your hair, the cat's out of the bag. Yeah. <laughs> and when you're going around with with hair that just you would never like if you're wearing a wig, because I tried many wigs and I was yeah. They just didn't really do anything for me. And and I'm pretty sure if I walked around with one that I looked like my grandmother, um, <laughs> you know, wasn't going to work. So. You know, I, I uh, had two, two wigs and just because of who I am, I tend to name everything. Um, <laughs> I, I give things names anyway. So my main wig, her name was Sunny. Yeah. And I, I, I quite, I quite like Sunny and I, with, with her on that I, I didn't look like a cancer patient is what I was mostly trying to avoid. But on the other hand, nobody recognized, which is <laughs> like, Hey, Hey, it's me. It's me over here. So, and then once, once my hair started growing back in, of course it, it was short and I've always had long hair, then still people didn't recognize me. I used to be blonde. And then all of a sudden I've got short, dark, grayish dark people just right by you <laughs> no i'm over here i'm over here did your hair grow back curly when it first came in it was curly for a, like curly and wavy for about a year and it's thicker than it was before i had cancer which i think is actually quite hilarious but the longer that it, it got the straighter it got so it's back down to the no no curl at all mm -hmm. but um it's still thicker well that's good news i guess yeah if that's yeah if that's the byproduct of, of uh, chemo, then. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so how many chemo treatments did you have? How long was your, this whole journey? Well, I mean, you're still going through it. Yeah. So, so one of the things with myeloma is it's not curable and it's characterized by cycles of disease, active disease and relapse. So right from the get go, it's necessary to accept that it's not fixable and that it's going to come back. There, there isn't the same level of hope and anticipation that it will go away and that you'll be done with it. That pretty clear right off from the diagnosis, this is not going to go away. The initial treatment is four months of chemotherapy, which is mostly uh, pill-based. And then it was once a week going in for a, a belly injection, which sounds bad but it's not that bad it's relatively quick and you know it's not not something like you pick out of a menu of fun things to do either but it's not that bad what was and, the belly injection uh that was medication called Belcate and it's it had side effects well they all had effects don't they yes. and so for me the significant side effect was uh, neuropathy which is a, a numbness and tingling in the hands and feet and i uh, also got it in my face, which was super special and unusual. Had to go through all kinds of tests and MRIs and stuff with my on my head because I had it in my face. That was that was weird. Yeah, so that was okay. a bit weird. The end of my tongue and then my upper lip and then my nose. And I started getting alarmed when it was going up in my eyes. And so my doctor was alarmed as well. So I had to reduce the dose so that it wasn't quite as severe. And is this just from the belly? Uh-huh. Yeah. Really? Now yeah. I was going to say something. They say if you have neuropathy to soak your hands in ice water, to it, it'll help. I just can't imagine your face going in there. <laughs> yeah, no, no, they no. Were, they, 
It was like, that's really unusual. That's happened before. But it's different from the, the breast cancer um, thing because it doesn't happen at the time of the belly shot. Whereas the, I think the infusion, when I had my uh, stem cell transplant, you get a really huge blast of chemo. Some people do that soak your hands and feet or wear the ice thing on your head in the hope of not losing your hair yeah, yeah i didn't well. do that yeah mostly that doesn't work i know one person that, that it worked a little bit in a fringe around the back and it's expensive susan to get oh, the, i looked into them they were like 700 dollars or something also think about it wearing an ice hack on your head for seven hours can you say brain freeze no thank you it makes for a very very unpleasant day to stick your hands say. and feet in your head in ice <laughs> anyways so with respect to the the chemo that i was on that this the, the main side effect was neuropathy but there weren't any other there weren't any physically vis visible signs through the four months of chemotherapy and the the pill treatment and then i knew that at the end of that there would be month or so before the stem cell transplant which starts with this huge blood email and that's when uh, the hair loss starts. Do they harvest, I can't remember, Jules talked about this, but do they harvest anything before you go into chemo? Yes, no, uh, well, there's the four months at the beginning with the, the pill and the belly poke thing. Mm -hmm. And then in that, the month between the end of your uh, chemo and your stem cell transplant, there are a bunch of procedures, which includes the harvest two weeks beforehand. So it, for me, this is, I'm, I'm leading here. Sorry, Deb. <laughs> you go ahead. I finished four weeks of, four, sorry, four months of treatment at, and was very pleased to have that done. And the last day I had a call from another doctor saying that I had breast cancer. So that was, that wasn't really good. I had had a routine mammogram during the summer when I was undergoing treatment. My doctor had said, oh yeah, you know, you should keep your, your whatever appointments. And at that appointment, I guess they'd seen something and they had called me back in and I had kind of a bad feeling about that. <laughs> so I uh, hadn't really, I didn't really tell anybody about that because enough already. It was rather disappointing because we had gone up to the cottage to celebrate. Yay, I'm done chemo. Hey, we're going to sit on the dock, we're going to have a celebration drink, and this is going to be terrific. And oh yeah, I've got breast cancer. So that, that celebration didn't really turn out the way we anticipated. So strange thing about it is that it was another primary cancer and been told that it's not unusual for uh, cancer treatments to cause secondary cancers down the line. I think all of us who've had breast cancer and treatment, and you find that out, that your risk of the treatment actually causing something else if it's higher than if you haven't had a bunch of treatment so I had another primary one and I just thought that was a bit much I'm a, I'm a big planner I like to get things organized but that was a little bit silly to get ahead of myself in that way <laughs> okay let's not rush this so it caused a little bit of a consternation amongst the doctors about what needed to be treated first because I was all primed for my stem cell transplant and they didn't know when or how they were going to start treatment on the breast cancer front because most people try not to do these things at once. So they had to figure out the order of 
doing everything. So there was a little bit of a delay, but it was determined that my myeloma was by far the more serious threat. And so I would, I went through my stem cell transplant and had to recover from that enough so that I could proceed on to surgery for the breast cancer. Fortunately, it was a, a very uh, early catch and it was a level zero. And so the doctor, the breast cancer doctor said, okay, if you're going to have to have cancer, this is the kind to have. You can just whip that puppy out. You know, you're going to be good. Uh, that's how I felt. Okay. I'm going to put that one in that little box and we'll deal with that after the stem cell. We did. So I had, I had my stem cell at the beginning of October and then my blood work and what and immunity came up enough by end of November that I had a lumpectomy at that point. That, that was still in the recovery period for the stem cell transplant, but I did not have to have chemo for the breast cancer, which I was very pleased about. I knew I was going to have to have radiation, but that was down the line. And um, so that surgery went reasonably well, I suppose. But then we found out uh, couple weeks before Christmas that the they didn't get good margins and so they had to go in and do a another thing and do check my lymph nodes and that was all good but again it really Christmas was recovering from sort of let's just say a, a difficult fall yes absolutely yeah. so but I was fine that's the thing like I was still fine I didn't have any symptoms. I never had a lump. I had microcalcifications from my breast cancer. So I never, I never had symptoms about anything. So I kept getting medicine that made me sick in order that my disease would not make me sick. So it was, it was always about managing the treatment as opposed to any symptoms that I ever had. So wow. it's, a, it's a strange headspace to play, but I feel very fortunate that I, I wasn't suffering from terrible bone pain or horrible fatigue or a lot of things that people put up with it really I was I felt fine wow you know and I, I just wanted to say that because you're a vegetarian and you exercise and you lead a clean life and it doesn't matter it doesn't it doesn't matter because it's <laughs> no. random expletive random it, it yeah. could be it could be anybody and so I I I didn't, I never had a sense of why me, why me? Because it was a case of, well, why not me? It's just random. I, I, I didn't, I didn't feel singled out at points. I felt unlucky, but generally speaking, I have had a very, very blessed life. I have had lovely, lovely things happen to me all my life. I have, I'm surrounded by love. Why shouldn't it be me? I have all these resources to deal with bad stuff happening. I certainly prefer that it hadn't, but I, I don't want to dwell on the fact that it's all so unfair. You know, I, I think that's such an admirable way to look at things. Not admirable in is and patting you on your back, but I mean, you can go down another path that could make things so much worse and another thought process. And it really gives you nothing other than heartache and sometimes harder, harder journey. Well, I think a lot of people, uh, spend time in anger yes and let's not pretend that i didn't also have but i didn't live there you know it, it, i don't i don't like 
being angry. I'm physically uncomfortable when I'm angry. So having that initial uh, surge of anger over whatever has to happen, whatever plans of mine had to be canceled, I would process it and get on with the next thing. Because for the most part, I'm just, I feel, I feel incredibly lucky. It's kind of ridiculous, but that's what I feel. I'm, I'm a very lucky person. And you got to take that when you get it. I mean, really, you just got to be grateful or it's gratitude falls into that. Yes. Yes. So one of the things I told you, I named things, my, the name for my remission is Pollyanna. And I don't, <laughs> do you know the, the movie Pollyanna? It starred Haley Mills from the 60s. Oh God, yeah, page. so long ago. But yes, I loved it. Yeah, Pollyanna plays the glad game. And even when circumstances are rough, she's looking around for things to be glad about. And so that's kind of my go-to position is what am I glad about? And very often you can stop with, I'm glad that I have a loving husband and wonderful kids. Wait, I'm not finished. It's sunny today. Oh, I actually slept last night. Oh, there's chocolate in the house. Okay, so so I could always find a dozen things right off the bat to be glad about, even when it was tough. And that's very helpful for me. Do you ever get anyone kind of giving you... Uh, for lack of a better word, platitudes, be positive and it won't be so hard. And, you know, things Um, that you don't say to a cancer patient, unless you're another cancer patient, I would say. (laughs) I find, I very much enjoy black humor about um, cancer and just horrible bad jokes about cancer amongst cancer patients. I think those are good. Uh, But no, I wouldn't say I get too many. The, the The one that bothers me is that God won't give you too much because unfortunately I'm aware that people die and I'm going to call dying too much. So, you know, that, that whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And well, you know what? Sometimes people are broken by, by the things that happen. And sometimes unfortunately no people with cancer who die as you do. And so that kind of reassurance is not very helpful to me because that's not the deal. God's not going to stop you from dying. Everybody dies and some people die prematurely. So that one, that one bothers because there's no, there's no deal. There isn't. Yes. And um, cancer can be that rough or right. In some ways though, there's, there's the, the platitude. Well, there, there's, there, cancer can be a gift. So that one, that one's a rough to get at the beginning and certainly can be annoying depending on who's delivering it. (laughs) The more you like the person, the more acceptable it is. Somebody you're not really super close to, you might want to punch them, but. (laughs) (laughs) And it depends where you are in the journey too, for those platitudes. If you're at the end, that's a whole, you have a different perspective. When you're in the thick of it, it's just, yeah, don't even go there with me right now. But you know, Pollyanna can perfectly well see that I'm glad that this opportunity led me to meet you, that we have this wonderful uh, group of ladies to enjoy and support each other. And I've had a strong sense of purpose come into my life, actually, with the cancer diagnosis, which is so weird. Um, But there it is. 
there's all of a sudden managing my own health is a part-time job and support groups. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more has, has been a purpose because I felt so strongly how much I wanted to have contact when I was initially diagnosed to share and find out that I wanted to be able to provide that for others. And so that, that is one of the gifts of cancer. There's the very much the seize the day experience that most cancer survivors are very familiar with because you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. So let's get on with whatever today. And, and those are, those are gifts. They are, they are. So yeah, there are good, there's no doubt there are positive things that happen to this. So you were diagnosed with breast cancer. You had your stem cell. Do you mm -hmm. want to go into a little bit about the stem cell transplant is? Sure. It, uh, the, as I said, the, the myeloma is found in the bone marrow, which produces uh, stem cells that develop into different kinds of blood cells, the plasma cells, the ones that were going bad, and then it produces red blood cells and all, all sorts of the other elements in your blood. And in order to address the multiple myeloma, it is necessary to kill all of the bone marrow in your body and replace it with these stem cells that have been harvested beforehand. So it's a it's a risky procedure because if your new new stem cells don't take, that doesn't go well. But basically it's an opportunity to grow a brand new immune system and start the, the, the garden that is your bone marrow off on a fresh footing. So the process involves having a, a drug, and that's another belly shot, for 10 days that causes your body to produce lots and lots and lots of stem cells. And that's surprisingly uncomfortable business. But at the end of that, you go into hospital and they hook you up to a machine that you think of it kind of like a, maybe like a, a dialysis machine where the blood gets sucked out through the machine and then pump back into it. So it's kind of a, a cycle thing. And you need to get a port put in because it's a large volume going in and out over a whole day. So the there's this the generation of these stem cells and then the harvest where, and that's a, a day in hospital where they're pulling them out and then they take them off and put them in the freezer somewhere and send you home to um, recover for a couple of weeks. Then going into hospital, the actual stem cell transplant is in many ways uh, kind of a lunch bag letdown. It doesn't take very long at all. It's a syringe that just reinserts through your, your port the stem cells that you've harvested. And that actual part takes less than 10 minutes. Very weird feeling. Mm. Very, very, very weird feeling. Oh, wait, I forgot about the chemo. Oh, yeah, there was the chemo. So <laughs> the day, two days before, I can't even remember now, before they put the stem cells back, you have a blast of heavy, heavy, heavy duty chemo that that's when it kills. That chemo is designed to kill all of your fast growing cells, which is all of your bone marrow and oh wait, your hair cells and your various parts in your guts. And it's disruptive, shall we say, but not immediately. So it's just, a, it's a day where you're kind of going, okay, this doesn't seem so bad, but you know that the stem cells in your body or sorry, the bone marrow in your body is killed off by that. And then they put these other ones back that they've harvested. Did they do it the same day, Susan? No, no. So there was a day or two, I can't really remember might have only been one day between the the big chemo blast and the reintroduction i think there was only one day and then you're just waiting for for the stem cells to take basically and start producing normal blood cells again so that's 
typically between eight and 14 days out that you start producing things. And, and at that point, you have literally no immune system whatsoever. So it's quite vulnerable. And I am horrified to think about the people who are getting freshly diagnosed with multiple myeloma now in COVID times where, you know, your immune system is being vulnerable. There is no more vulnerable than you have no immune system. So fortunately for me, I was uh, not doing that during COVID. But uh, after the reintroduction of the stem cells, it's just a matter of waiting and people tolerate the procedure with a lot of variety. I was not my best, perhaps five days or so. Yeah. A <laughs> um, lot of time clutching a bucket, but otherwise, again, I was still fine. As soon as as soon as I was able to get away from my bucket, I was like, "Well, can I can I leave my room? Can I can I walk?" Because I really wanted to stay active. It's very easy to stay in bed when you're not feeling well, but I know the more I stay in bed, the worse I feel. So I wanted to get up, and I <laughs> I found on the the cancer floor that I was on in KW Hospital, there was a assessment therapist's office that had a treadmill in it. <laughs> So I said, can I go in and use the treadmill? And the nurses are looking at me like, you're going to do what? Were you in hospital for all of this? Yeah, they tell you you're going to be in for two or three weeks. And I was in for 11 days. I started getting day passes to go home because it was like, I'm fine. What am I doing here? Can I please go? And so I would do treadmill if I could. Or if it was a nice day. Because it was the fall. So, you know, there were nice days and not nice days. And take my IV pole and walk around the hospital. So, but it was, yeah, I got out a few days early because I was clearly doing really well. And my blood work came back that I was uh, engrafted is what they call it. That things were starting to go. And then I got home and I was fine. And also I knew I had to get better because I... I had a surgery to look forward to. <laughs> you still hadn't had your breast surgery at this point. Right, right. So that was, yeah. So I had the October the 6th that I had the stem cell transplant. And I think it was November the 25th that I had my breast cancer surgery. Um, the funny thing was at this point, years later, the breast cancer, because we have our, our group at is mostly ladies with breast cancer. I feel, oh, goody, I know, I right <laughs> But I didn't have to have chemo with my breast cancer. So my breast cancer experience was mild and minor compared to the stem cell transplant and multiple myeloma treatment. And the doctor, in the end, after the second surgery, is like, okay, you got the thing. And they they offered, uh, suggested that I take the um, follow-up drugs. You were on those, weren't you? The letrozole? And yeah. Letrozole. Were you estrogen positive? Yeah. Yeah. Mm, okay. Uh, yeah, I, I was on them for a short time. I didn't do well on them, and I went off. Um, they had suggested that I go on that, but I also knew that I was going to be continuing drugs for the myeloma, and they had, they both had high risk of blood clots, and I had had a blood clot already, so my oncotype testing suggested I had a very low risk of having a recurrence of the breast cancer, so I chose not to go on the follow-up medication and certainly talking to all the rest of the ladies in our group, that medication is not without its downsides. So I'm happy enough not to have had that. So my breast cancer experience was quite discreet, really. So, but you still had it and it's still a scare. Yeah. You know, it made me feel really bad for my daughter because now her risk level has gone up. There was no breast cancer in the family at all. I had to bring that into the family. <laughs> my fault. Sorry. 
but now she's got she, when she goes to her doctor she has to say well my mom had <laughs> which i really don't like having to put that out there on my daughter but i think it was just a random thing i want you to talk about the support group oh okay yeah so i told you that my experience at the very beginning that i really really wanted to have to talk to somebody else with myeloma and i became aware through jules the uh, myeloma canada organization and that there were support groups in other communities, but not in KW. And I thought, okay, I know that my doctor has a full range of patients. There are other people with myeloma in this community. I don't know any of their names, but there has to be a way. And so uh, connected up with Jules with uh, Myeloma Canada to see about starting a support group in our neighborhood. And they were in our in our community, and they were uh, very happy because they're trying to get uh, support groups across Canada. And they were very supportive and helped us do the initial organization and invitation and finding people because they had mailing lists uh, that I didn't have access access to. So we started a very informal group modeled, oh, let me say, closely on the Hope Springs <laughs> model, uh, where we would just share stories and be able to support each other and give each other tips and give each other uh, non-medical tips. Always the tips start with talk to your doctor. But you know, this is this is my experience. This is something that could happen. This is not a question you can ask your doctor. And uh, helping other people through the initial shock of diagnosis and the fears of, of chemo and what's this stem cell thing going to be and how, am I going to be okay? What do I tell people? And it's it's been very empowering for me to be part of that group, have the outreach reach in the community and support the myeloma community because unfortunately there seem to be quite a few people who do have it. So we uh, we were meeting about once a month in person, which is really really wonderful but now we're doing zoom meetings since uh, this whole thing came around and some good things have come out of it because lots of times people are in in a point in their treatment where they really can't go out of the house they've had stem cell treatment and they're extremely vulnerable they have to stay home they can participate through zoom or you know in the winter time people are coming from a distance and it's a snowy day on saturday why does it always snow weekends <laughs> why so now people can attend me when they, so they don't have to drive, they don't have to be feeling as well, they don't have to worry about the weather. So those are great things. And our group, which doesn't typically get in uh, speakers, is, uh, we're able to join other groups who do have speakers on Zoom. And so it's expanded the education format for our group because we are now joining some of the other groups online. That's great. Yeah, it's that really, is really good. It's really great. Wonderful. So I, I think I think in future, when hopefully we're able to start seeing each other in person, we'll be able to maintain a little bit of the advantages of the Zoom thing and have people join the group on on Zoom, even when the rest of us are meeting in person. So I find it enormously helpful, and it's been it's been a lot of fun to taking part in leadership conferences. It, it's been really a, a wonderful experience for me, and I feel that the being able to have myeloma specific cancer support group has been a help for people in our community. Is there a website? Uh, there... Yes, myelomacanada.ca. That's pretty inspirational that you and Jules have done this and got it going. And so, yeah, it's, it's been a gift, Deb. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. It's, it's, Go ahead. I'm just saying it's, it's one of those things that contributes to a sense of purpose, which sometimes is a hard to find when you're 
not doing what you used to do. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you so much for doing this with me. I really appreciate your time. And just remember to keep your pecker up, Susan. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Susan. And thanks to those who are listening to the Keep Your Pecker Up podcast. And we'll see you again soon. Thanks. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.